Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to The Scoop. I'm your host, Frank Chaparro, editor-at-large at The Block, and we have a very exciting episode of the show for you today. We have Anthony Scaramucci of Skybridge Capital joining us with our very own Stephanie Murray to talk about a lot of different things. We're going to talk about the regulatory landscape in crypto, how it might be scaring off potential investment in the space. We see Coinbase now potentially moving, or I think it's official there setting up shop for their international exchange in Bermuda. And they kind of also are clearly pushing people offshore. But Stephanie, give us a rundown real quick of like what your impression is being on the Hill, and then we can get Mooch's take shortly after. But before we dive into that and more, I want to take a moment to thank our sponsors. What's next for digital currency after a brutal 2022? While the core promise of crypto hasn't changed, digital currency is still forming the base layer for a new global commerce infrastructure. From merchants at the point of sale to corporations that want to pay suppliers and even employees more efficiently. Circle has always seen itself as a connector of the traditional world and the new world of digital currency. It's like building houses. What's the foundation and can you get the foundation right? Throughout Q1, I'm happy to host leaders from Circle here on The Scoop to give listeners the chance to hear how one of crypto's most prominent builders is paving the way for digital currency utility. Visit circle.com scoop for more information. This show is sponsored in part by CleanSpark, America's Bitcoin miner. With CleanSpark, you can feel good about investing in the Bitcoin ecosystem because CleanSpark uses low-carbon energy for their Bitcoin mining data centers and is always optimizing their operations to increase energy efficiency and reduce e-waste, all while partnering with the communities they operate in. If you want to support the future of Bitcoin while also supporting the environment, visit www.cleanspark.com to learn more about the CleanSpark way. Well, it's been a pretty big week for crypto in Washington, you know, regulatory-wise. We had the SEC chairman, Gary Gensler, talking to Congress. There's a stablecoin bill on the move. Um, the White House is talking about crypto. And so I guess, uh, Anthony, for you, my question is, is the U.S. pushing out crypto companies and is Bermuda going to be the new Bahamas? Well, a couple of things. First of all, thanks for having me on. I guess the U.S. is technically pushing out crypto, but really the headline should be Senator Elizabeth Warren and Gary Gensler are pushing out crypto. And I think that that's really the headline. And so then the question is, is the rest of the U.S. going to do that? Now, obviously, the Republicans in the House do not want to do that. They made that very clear to Commissioner Gensler that they don't want to do that. I thought his smirky arrogance was sort of bizarre in that testimony, but that's okay. And I guess what I would say to Chairman Gensler, if crypto is just speculation and it's an internet casino, well, don't we have casinos in the country? Then regulate it like a casino. The notion that you would kick crypto out of the country because you got embarrassed by Sam Bankman-Fried, I think it's an absolute absurdity. The other big issue which nobody's addressing, and perhaps you guys can address it for me, is if the SEC approved the S1 and the prospectus on Coinbase, and in the prospectus was a description of the Coinbase businesses, and they executed those businesses in the United States, why are they illegal now? They weren't illegal the day that you said, hey, this is okay, you can take this company public. And so again, this is a manifestation of authoritarianism from Gary Gensler. I don't recognize any rules 
or regulations that have been put in place that would make that business illegal. And I guess I just want to make one last point, if you guys don't mind. He wants to use the 33 or the 1940 securities laws to regulate crypto. So that would be like me saying to you, well, we have these driver's manuals. We have driver's education manuals. Why don't we use those for air traffic control? We just invented airplanes. Well, why don't we use those for space travel? And so I just think it's archaic and nonsensical. He'd be way better served going into the community, helping the community build a self-regulatory organization, and then put some laws in place from the Congress. That's what good common sense regulators do. But Mr. Gensler is a bad faith regulator. And I think he'll just delay the process of adoption for the U.S. And it's sad because other countries will take the lead and we'll be missing out. And I mean, how do you work with Gensler? He's somebody who's not going anywhere if you do feel like he's a bad faith regulator, in your words. Like, what can crypto do to kind of move forward and deal with it if the leadership isn't going to change anytime soon? Well, I think on the margin, we move operations off the shore of the U.S. You guys are mentioning Bermuda. I think the Bahamas is still the new Bahamas. You know, OKX is down there now. FTX is long gone, but OKX is down there. We may go do another crypto Bahamas. Maybe we'll do a crypto Bermuda. I don't know. I met the premier. He came to see us in Abu Dhabi at Salt Abu Dhabi, which we did in February, the premier of the Bahamas. And he's an incredibly progressive, very thoughtful guy about the space. And he wants the business. You know, you guys know this, that they flubbed the Brexit and it's cost London some standing as a financial services capital. And so that sort of sucks for London in some ways, but, you know, they want the crypto business, you know. Premier David Burt, the premier in Bermuda, he wants the crypto business. The Hong Kong government, the HKMA, the Hong Kong Monetary Authority, they want the crypto business. So Gary Gensler and his sidekick, George Washington's grandmother, Elizabeth Warren, they do not want the crypto business. And they've decided that they're going to be the two gatekeepers to block U.S technology, U.S. innovation. It's sad for us. I think it's the other way around, Mooch. He's her sidekick. Yeah, Gensler's Warren's sidekick. Oh, if I didn't say it that way. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. So let me explain that to your viewers and listeners. So Warren cut a deal with Biden to endorse Biden, but she wanted control and oversight over banking and financial services. So she is the de facto president for financial services and for banking. And Gensler is her sidekick, you know. I mean, I call them Elizabeth and Gary Gensler on the air and on Twitter just because I know it irritates everyone. But, you know, yes, they're the same person. You know, one looks like George Washington's grandmother. The other one looks like the real life Jiminy Cricket, you know, coming to life out of the Pinocchio movie to rule roost over all of us. I guess to play devil's advocate, Gensler's not really doing that much different from his predecessor, Jay Clayton, who also said all of these things are securities maybe referring specifically to ICOs, but without giving any more clarity than Chair Gensler. Stephanie, if you wanted to add to that thought thread there, he's not really doing anything that differently. I don't want to necessarily defend him. I'm just trying to sort of like think through how maybe he's not the evil villain that he's made out to be, or maybe he is. Well, no, I mean, listen, I don't want to characterize him as a villain. I want to characterize him as an ambitious singularly minded politician, not focused on serving the people, but really paying homage to his personal ambition. And so 
I understand what you're saying, but I don't think it's necessarily fair because the entire industry has moved. The adaption is up considerably. When Clayton had that position, I don't know, were there 30 million wallets, 70 million wallets? I'm not sure what they were. There's well over 300 million wallets now in the crypto industry, and there's competition. The U.S. is now facing other countries, other cities that want this business. And I think it's more topical and more timely. And I think we have to come up with legislation that gives some guidance to our regulators. I don't understand how a regulator can just sit there as a czar or some type of autocrat and dictate what they think. And since you mentioned whether or not something is a security or not, they point blank asked him questions. Is Ethereum a security? He point blank said, humana, humana. And so how do, how do you deal with that? What's the reason why, aside from the theory that he's this appendage of Elizabeth Warren to like cut out crypto rails here in the U.S., why won't he just say, is there an alternative reason for him not saying ETH is a security or ETH isn't a security? What's the reasoning there? Well, I think the reasoning is that he's a politician. And I think the reasoning is he doesn't have an answer to that because that really has to be decided by the legislature. And I think what he's doing is the same thing with choke point 2.0. It's, Ill, it's illegal to create a choke point. But if the regulators are trying to do something without legislative guidance, they can do it. It can be challenged by the court and reversed and or overruled by the legislators. And so he doesn't want to tip his hand you can go by his actions. His actions are everything is a security, maybe with the exception of Bitcoin, including Ethereum. And that's his actions, but he doesn't want to say that publicly because if he says that publicly, it's going to cause a major political firestorm for him because the CFTC may disagree with him on that. Politicians may disagree with him on that. And so the way to handle this, if you want to be nefarious, is the way he's handling it. So you said, you know, you don't want to characterize him as a villain, but let me just say this, you know, I don't want to say that he's a villain, but he's not, he's not for this industry. He would like to push this industry off the shore of the United States. He would like to eliminate this industry from the U.S. And again, let's take his side for a second. As he said repeatedly in his testimony, this is speculative, this is speculative. Okay, well, we do speculation in this country. And we do have gambling casinos and people playing lotto for public education and, you know, betting on horses, et cetera. So if it's a casino and there's no value to these things and they are what Warren Buffett said they are, they're gambling tokens. Okay, well, let them be gambling tokens then. Why can't we have gambling tokens in the society? See, it doesn't make any sense. Tell me the argument that he's making and I'll rebut the argument. And this is why, you know, you would never want to debate somebody like me because what he's saying doesn't make any sense. How is this shaping up in Washington, Stephanie, in terms of are folks sort of on the Republican side, Democrat side, both equally taking a position against the chair? Well, what's interesting is I think that, you know, crypto for a long time, people have said it's bipartisan or it's nonpartisan, but I think you can sort of see the battle lines being drawn 
on partisan lines now. You see Republican lawmakers kind of going the hardest at Gensler in that hearing and online. Colin Wilhelm, one of our colleagues, had a scoop that there is some bipartisan crypto legislation, you know, kind of on the move in Congress that could conceivably pass. So, I mean, I think that it's getting a little bit more partisan for sure, you know, especially when you see kind of a Democratic White House and a presidential election coming up. We've seen Ron DeSantis, Ted Cruz, you know, filing bills, kind of raising fears about CBDCs and things like that. These are people's pocketbooks that you're hitting, uh, or wallets, I should say. I'm kind of invoking my grandmother, I guess, there by saying pocketbook. But this can't be politically popular when you have 100 million users of Coinbase, millions of Americans. Well, it doesn't have to be politically popular. If I want to be the Secretary of the Treasury, at some point Janet Yellen is leaving, and I need the support of the President for Financial Services, Senator Warren, then I'm going to do her bidding. I'm going to carry her water. And so what do I care? I don't care if the country gets set back. I have to check this box on my resume. I need to be the Secretary of the Treasury. So he doesn't care. I mean, I think what will happen very likely because of what you're saying is in 2024, both of these candidates will likely be pro-crypto because if you have 70 or 80 million people, many of them may be single-issue voters related to positive crypto regulation. And why would you want to lose those voters? You know, so far, there's nobody that has made a compelling case to eradicate crypto from the United States. Again, use the worst thing that you could say about crypto. It's a gambling token. Fine. We regulate casinos and we have casinos in the country. Why can't we have gambling token casinos in the country? The core promise of crypto hasn't changed. Stablecoins can bring faster payments at internet scale. From merchants at the point of sale to corporations that want to pay suppliers or even employees more efficiently. Circle has always seen itself as a connector of the traditional world and the new world of digital currency. USDC is more than just a stablecoin. USDC is also an open source platform. When our transactions are actually final and you can't change them anymore, that's another great quality property of cash because when you switch his hand, it's fine. Right? Can you digitize all those good quality properties and bring that in a digital form? USDC by Circle is at the forefront of this innovation. And that's why The Scoop is partnering with the folks at Circle to tell you guys why and how our industry is moving. A lot of us who have built USDC, myself included and Jeremy included, we are technologists. So we approach this problem from a technology point of view. Visit circle.com scoop for more information. Here's a message from our sponsor, CleanSpark. CleanSpark is a NASDAQ-listed company that mines Bitcoin. Basically, they build and operate data centers with tens of thousands of computers that help secure Bitcoin, making it more reliable and secure for anybody, anywhere to use. These computers require a lot of energy, but that's why CleanSpark predominantly uses low-carbon energy to power their machines. But that's not all. They care about the communities where their data centers are located. They create jobs, donate to schools and community centers, and revitalize aging electricity grids in rural parts of America. They aren't just a Bitcoin miner. They're one of the most efficient and sustainable Bitcoin miners in America. Visit www.cleanspark.com to learn more. Are there national security concerns if crypto gets pushed offshore, you know, to other countries? I know Hong Kong is one that people talk about being, you know, a potential concern. Are you worried about that? Well, you know, Jason Lowry, who wrote the book Soft War, 
more or less explains that in his book, that it would be a problem that ultimately, if there is some level of adoption for Bitcoin and it ends up possibly replacing some elements of international trade vis-a-vis the dollar, that could be a problem. It would be better for the United States to bring that stuff home and to innovate here. And I think the United States is operating off the back of its foot now in a defensive position, and I think we should be more offensive. Best thing for the country is to become more economically innovative, more technologically innovative, and to grow industries like the cryptocurrency space, because that leads to a more vibrant tax base, a stronger dollar, and just better overall economic growth for the country. You know, building a Berlin Wall around the U.S. dollar is not going to help the U.S. dollar. If anything, it's going to scare the daylights out of people, and they're going to want to seek alternatives. Yellen, Secretary Yellen, admitted this week that the sanction strategy and pulling the Russians off the SWIFT banking system and weaponizing the dollar the way they did, they have now created all of these unnatural alliances against the dollar, where countries like China and Saudi Arabia and places like Russia, et cetera, they don't want to use the dollar anymore. And so to me, making the country stronger means building the resources, building the tax base here in the country. So again, these are mistakes being made, but we also have laxity on the part of the politicians. They don't like making decisions anymore. They ceded war powers to the president. They've ceded our decision-making on war about Ukraine to the president. They don't want to necessarily put up new legislation related to crypto because it's quote-unquote controversial. And so they're letting Gary Gensler do this stuff. It's hurtful to the industry. And, you know, five years from now, Bitcoin is $300,000 and there's a robust exchange taking place in Hong Kong or London and there's little to nothing going on here in the U.S. I think it'll be a bad day for the country. It's just, it's so nonsensical. It's like if I told you I could think of anything that has made the country more economically efficient, the internet. I told you, okay, look, whatever reason, there's some bad stuff on the internet, pornography and whatnot, we got to shut it down. And so the other countries can have the internet, but the United States will never have the internet. I think that's what this really is. Mm -hmm. They're not really executing well. Like if you think about their case with Grayscale, like their arguments are really falling flat. I don't see them going after everyone, like going after you know, these different tokens that they're calling securities, are they going to take all of them to court? I just don't see them winning those battles. Yeah. You know, I think that you're right about that. But if it's a court that's laced in politics, the grayscale guys could still lose the case, you know. And so I don't think they would lose before the Supreme Court if the Supreme Court tried to take it because the administrative overreach here is wild. But remember, if Grayscale wins the case. Let's say the court says they've won the case and now the SEC decides not to appeal. That could happen. It just gets remanded back to the SEC. And knowing Gensler, he's a spiteful guy, he'll try to find something else bad about the Grayscale application to delay it. You know, you may end up seeing a BlackRock Bitcoin ETF, a Franklin Templeton Fidelity. Bitcoin Cash ETF before you see a Grayscale ETF due to the the spitefulness of Mr. Gensler. 
So I want to switch gears a little bit before we let you go and talk a little bit about FTX, a company that you know pretty well. Do you think that there is a case for rebooting FTX in the next year or so? And have you talked to them about it at all? Well, I haven't talked to them. I mean, you know, we obviously would like to buy our interest back. They have no interest really in talking to us right now because I think they have bigger fish to fry. It's not going to be a huge amount of money they would get for us in a purchase of our interest. I don't see how it's possible to restart FTX. Remember, you have to put up creditors' money. So you have bondholders of FTX and creditors and account holders that are owed money. And so then you have to make the decision at the board level and through the creditors' committee and get the bankruptcy judge to approve that you're not going to disperse that money, but you're going to put that capital up to restart the business. I think Frank knows this. You probably know this, Stephanie. Not a lot of money is being made in these exchanges right now. And so a lot of these exchanges are in the red and they're burning off capital that they raised in these private placements, waiting for a new bull market to start and waiting for higher volume. And so, you know, I don't see how they restart. I don't see the positives to restarting, frankly. But, you know, I've been wrong about so many things, Stephanie. You may add this to the list of things that I could be wrong about. So if they do restart, I see it as a net positive for Skybridge, though, because that will mean that they're profitable and we'll hopefully be able to negotiate with them. Yeah, but it'll be peanuts. I mean, I think that most they sell to someone for $100 million or $150 million, which isn't that significant. Yeah, well, that, that could happen. They could sell all the software and the licensure related to the exchange and then rebrand. That's what's going to happen. Yeah, I mean, that sounds more plausible than saying, hey, this is FTX2, let's go name another arena and get going. I don't see that happening. How do you turn your ship around, Anthony? There was that pretty brutal Bloomberg deep dive into the firm about its sort of AUM, obviously getting hit hard by FTX. What's it look like inside Skybridge right now? Yeah, we'll talk about that in a second. But I just had to ask you, you read that article. So did you think there was any fairness to that article? I mean, it just seemed like a one-sided attack diatribe. It was almost like a paid political operation. Am I right or wrong? I I think it was a little mean. That's why I said brutal. Yeah. I mean, I'm just wondering why it was so mean-spirited. I sat with that woman, the journalist that wrote the article for 90 minutes. She didn't put one counterpoint into the article. Moreover, the portfolio manager who was the source of that article was actually fired from Skybridge. She didn't mention him at all. He was a principal reason why we had some asset decline. And so I'm just wondering what that article was all about. You know, I was in Washington, Stephanie's in Washington. You know, there's a lot of paid hit jobs that take place. It really felt like that because it was so one-sided and, and mean. But uh, the, the answer to your question is, listen, we've got $2.4 billion in assets under management here. We didn't do anything different than anybody else has done. BlackRock has restricted their tenders. Blackstone has restricted their tenders. It's right there in the prospectus. Our tenders go from 5 to 25% pursuant to what goes on in the marketplace. It's a 20-year-old fund. Its average tender has been 21%. We've tendered at 5% nine times over 20 years. And, you know, you would know and be able to predict those times. One of them was in 2008 and nine, and one of them is in one of the worst stock market performing years, 2022. So, I don't see why it was any different from any of these other companies. I know I'm more of a character, say, than some of these other people, 
but I'm only running $2.4 billion. Miss Burton, who wrote that article, she wrote a nasty article about me in January. And then three months later, she wrote that deep dive, ultra nasty article. I guess in a couple more months, she'll write another mean-spirited, nasty article about Skybridge. But the bad news for her and our haters is we're not going anywhere and we're doing everything right here. We're up about 12% on the year. It's been a great start to the year for us. And if we're right about crypto, and I predict we will be five years from now, stuff like Bitcoin or Ethereum will be 10x the number that they are right now. And then I guess the only person that would write that would be you, Frank. You could be the only person that writes that about Skybridge because, you know, most journalists aren't willing to write a positive article anymore. Thanks for tuning into this episode of The Scoop. We hope you enjoyed our episode with Anthony Scaramucci and Stephanie Murray. Please tune in next time for another edition of the show with another great guest. Have an excellent day.